You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. I've never seen scandal after scandal hit a company in such a short amount of time. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. We don't really know what's in e-cigarettes. California has unfortunately led the nation in officer-involved killings. This is KCBS In-Depth. It's a typical day of practice for the young football players at Aragon High School in San Mateo. They're getting practice tossing, blocking, catching. They're running drills, they're running plays. It's all there. One thing you won't see at this practice, though, is tackles. Not to the ground, no. Um, The kids aren't even dressed for it. Coach Steve Henderson. So our intent here is to learn how to make plays. But he says when the players hear the whistle, they stop. And that way, we cut down some of the contact that would normally be a part of a practice. That's one of the ways we're incorporating more safety, you know, into the the structure of practice. More safety. That's what coaches throughout California have been trying to secure for their players. As we learn more about the potential for brain injuries in this sport, so when it comes to safety, just how far have the coaches gotten? Hey, ball snap, go! I'm Keith Benconi. This is KCBS in depth, and today in the program, we're going to take a look at how high school football is changing in the face of that growing concern, and why many are making the case that the sport is worth saving. Let's start with the numbers. There has been a decline in the number of high schoolers playing football in California over the last few years. We had just over 91,000 participants in the 2019 season. That's Ron Nochetti, the executive director of the California Interscholastic Federation, which oversees high school athletics in the state. We've been losing about 3,000 participants per year uh, since 2015. That comes out to about a loss on average of three players per school per year. So while football remains the most popular high school sport, it seems to be on the decline. Now, there has been plenty of concerning information that's come to light over the last several years, from NFL players who were found to have suffered from serious brain disease to studies that suggest that more years spent playing football mean an increased risk of brain disease. And definitely, some have been scared off by that. But Nochetti says that as of right now, we really don't know exactly why players in California are leaving the sport. We just haven't done the surveys yet. What we do know is California has been setting stronger legal standards for young players, including how much time they're allowed to spend tackling. So our student athletes can participate no more than 90 minutes of full contact per week uh, in the sport of football. And in talking to our coaches across the state, uh, it's much less than that. Um, I think our coaches are are now coaching in a much different way of practice, uh, reducing the amount of contact that takes place in practice, and also uh, making sure that the right techniques are being used to teach our students how to tackle appropriately and how to play the game the right way. So as these new rules take effect, has there been any pushback from coaches that maybe are reluctant to give up that tackling time? Um, No, the only thing we've heard is there are some coaches that will say, you know, do we have enough time to teach the game appropriately? And, 
And, and frankly, it's, uh, it's an issue that we've addressed through, through helping them identify with organizations such as USA Football in, uh, in providing them the resources to teach the game, uh, teach tackling without having full contact. As far as opposition, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some out there. Um, I'm amazed and very happy to see, though, that a lot of our longtime coaches, coaches have been coaching football in our state for 25 years or more, were some of the biggest proponents of these changes. And when we suggested reducing the contact time and cutting it in half two years ago, it passed unanimously in our state. Even stricter limits were put in place for younger players earlier this year. But controversially, an out-and-out ban on tackle football play for those younger than 12 failed back in 2018. So a lot of work being done to keep kids safe. But this leads to the question, why football? There's a lot of sports out there that have less contact, so why is football something that so many in athletics are working so hard to make safer? It involves a high level of fitness. It involves a fair amount of sacrifice. I put that question to Coach Henderson from Aragon High, who we heard from earlier. It involves being better for the group. And that, that type of lesson that comes from being a part of a football team uh, teaches people competitive sort of intangibles that you can really use later in life. Later in life, or even, he says, before high school graduation. We have had, over the last many years here at Aragon, so many kids kind of find their way, um, having an opportunity to play and bond with friends and in a structured environment that involves some hitting and whatnot, get a chance to kind of work out some of that teenage aggression and do it in a way that's that where they're supported. And that's that's resulted in real positive attitudes about school, something to look forward to when they show up, friends to bond with uh, on and off the field. And those friendships are lifetime friendships. So with all that in mind, we're gonna try now to dig a little bit deeper into how the game is changing and also into the science that's driving that change. For all that, I spoke earlier with Coach Henderson, whose school has been ahead of the curve in carrying out some of these safety best practices, so he'll be bringing the coaching perspective here. Also in the conversation, we'll hear from Dr. Jeffrey Manley, who's going to be keeping us grounded in the science of all this. He's a professor of neurosurgery at the University of California, San Francisco, and also a co-director of the university's Brain and Spinal Injury Center. Here is that conversation. Dr. Manley, Coach Henderson, thank you for joining KCBS In-Depth. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. Manley, I thought that we could start with you. If you could start us off with what the science has been telling us over the last several years about what the risks are. What have we been learning about the risks that players potentially put themselves in when they play full contact football at the high school level? Well, I think the first thing to say is that uh, because uh, this has only been a focus really for the last decade or so, that uh, we don't know nearly as much about traumatic brain injury as we do about things like cancer and heart disease. And so in the absence of a lot of data, which is which we need, uh, there's been a whole lot of controversy. And so what I would say is we're still uh, early on in really understanding what this means. And the reason why is that we treated these things like an event and not like a process. And as a result, we really haven't followed these people long term. So while, you know, we hear reports of, of people that, that 
do very well after an injury. And we hear reports of people that don't do very well after an injury. We've not really systematically studied a group of people longitudinally that would allow us to really understand what the true uh, uh, incidence or numerator and denominator is of this. So, so I think we're still in very early days and uh, one should interpret what they're seeing with caution because uh, more, more work is needed. But there are things coming out to suggest now, I think, that this initial concern that we had um, uh, is founded. There is definitely a subset of patients, uh, or excuse me, a subset of athletes that, um, you know, are having uh, both short-term and long-term consequences. But my interpretation of the literature is that it's not everyone. Right. So it's a little bit scattershot. It's hard to know who's going to be affected. And I think fundamentally, one of the biggest challenges when we're talking about something like CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy is that for that disease in particular, you can't tell whether or not somebody was affected until after their death. You need to wait until after their death to make the diagnosis. And so gaining data in this case is really challenging. Yes, that's correct. And so uh, this is a diagnosis uh, uh, that is made by a pathologist, which means it can only be done after you've passed away. So uh, while people have uh, laid out what they think clinical criteria are for CTE, uh, the fact is, is that um, they are very broad and could apply to a whole lot of things such as depression. So um, I go back to probably work that was done many, many years ago with boxers, uh, where we know for sure, I mean, that's a sport that's designed to knock people out and to give them a concussion. And, you know, when we look at those definitions, they're actually more narrow than what people are applying to the CTE definition today. So what I would say is that, again, this is still an evolution. I think we should look backwards to some of these uh, reports that we had out of things like boxing. And I think when we look at this, again, uh, my interpretation is, is that it's only a subset of folks. And so what I want to make sure that the public understands is that we should not be scaring uh, uh, people away from exercise. I mean, we've got a uh, epidemic in this country of of, of uh, pre-diabetes and diabetes, and, and and I think people do need to be active. We just need to be safe when we're being active. All right. So definitely a lot more to be discussed there, and uh, we're going to return to some of those topics in just a little bit. But uh, let's turn over to the coaching end of things. And uh, I did spend some time with your players, Coach Henderson, to get a feel for how they're thinking about some of these risks that we're discussing here, and. They had a pretty interesting perspective, I thought. They were telling me that they are aware of the risks, but they do feel much safer having coaches uh, looking after them that are having coaches that are taking these risks seriously and helping to train them to avoid these risks. Here's Angelo Galindo. He's a senior who plays as a wide receiver in safety. Uh, I asked him what he thinks about the risk of brain injury. Here's what he told me. I know it is possible, but at the same time, you're like, we're in a professional environment with people who know what they're doing and like with their knowledge like they're providing it to us as well so we know how to like take a hit and hit back you know and um, if you think about like the getting a concussion too much like that's just all you're gonna think about and like the more you think about it the more it's likely to happen so a fair amount of confidence being expressed there but uh, coach Henderson I mean uh, it's a pretty big responsibility that you're taking on keeping these kids making sure that they're playing the game in a a safe way absolutely and it's one we take very seriously Uh, so here at the school what we have done is is taken a look at uh, the reality about the training for the sport and what it takes to execute and play and 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 have fun 
uh, we share the same uh, passion as, as medical professionals. We, we, we care most about the safety and the enjoyment and experience of people who can live a full life. So if you're going to participate and be active in football in our program, the first thing we do is talk about uh, technique in terms of tackling. And, and, and the most fundamental thing we talk about is keeping the head out of the tackle. And so we spend uh, the initial time training on the field, working with students, athletes, really at every practice, covering those fundamentals and driving that point in and, and talking about safety and emphasizing that. We, we also, in addition to that training, um, are well within the guidelines of state mandated uh, uh, rules around practice and contact. We have adjusted our tempo and, and the way that we do things uh, so that we are aligned with, with what makes sense. Um, I think this started many, many years ago, maybe in the early 80s with Bill Walsh, um, the uh, former 49ers coach, who began to just reduce contact for his players and began to realize guys are getting beat up. Long story short, um, we think it's, it's safer for the athletes to practice the game uh, the right way. And when in doubt, and we, we sit kids out, if there's any incidents of, of something that we were suspicious about, um, we sit the, the, the student athlete down. We have a trainer uh, on site at practices and at games. And so we, we're, we're strict about following guidelines because, again, we're, we're, we're concerned about player safety. And we're aligned with what's going on and what's trending. And so for us, we're, we're still able to teach the game, um, have fun, uh, bring, bringing some of those things that come with the territory of being a great teammate and learning how to sacrifice and work towards uh, common objectives. And we're able to do that in a, in a, in a competitive environment. And so we're proud of our record. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that people are confident in, in our approach. Yeah. Well, just to help those of us who may be less familiar with football and how it's been changing, if you could tell me a little bit about how uh, practice would look different now, the way that it's carried out would look different now than, say, five, ten years ago. Right. So it would, it would have been common for us to start practice, warm up, and then get engaged, divide uh, players up by position groups, and spend a pretty significant amount of time working on either defending uh, the run game or work on advancing the ball in the run game. And that would involve a, a pretty extensive period of contact, a lot of, a lot of you know, hitting over the normal uh, number of plays that you would attempt to practice offensively or defensively. And so we would think nothing of exposing kids to a, a pretty extensive amount of that in and out of individual drills or out of team periods. Uh, and, and so what has changed about that is we've, we have realized that we can, we can predetermine a winner in competition and we can work on not going full speed, not tackling to the ground, working on, on more or less matching up and the technique associated with playing. So what that has done is it, and we started this many years ago, it's reduced the amount of contact in drills, it's reduced the amount of contact and impact in team settings, and it's enabled us to actually teach more. It's been really advantageous for us to teach more in a calm setting about how to execute the game of football and and have fun doing so. So it's changed. Uh, now we, we 
to get ready for a game in a game week, we're probably about an hour of, of what you would consider full contact and preparation for an opponent. And we mix that up between drills and, and competition uh, um, periods. And we'll, we would cut down the number of plays we'd run at full speed in preparation for a week to around maybe 20, as opposed to before, that might have been a number closer to 100. And so it's reduced the amount of impact and contact considerably. And for the kids, um, we think that's a, a much safer approach. All right. Well, more to come in just a second. But first, want to remind our listeners that you're listening to KCBS In-Depth. That's our weekly deep dive into some of the events and trends shaping life here in the Bay Area and beyond. Today, we're discussing how new concerns about the threat of brain injury are changing the way high school football is played. Joining us to sort this all out, we're speaking right now with Dr. Jeffrey Manley. He's a professor of neurosurgery at the University of California, San Francisco. Also speaking to Steve Henderson, he's a football coach at Aragon High School in San Mateo and a senior trainer with the Positive Coaching Alliance. So, uh, Dr. Manley, turning back to you, I mean, we just heard there from uh, Coach Henderson that his players are not playing more than 60 minutes of tackle football a week. The state limit, the legal limit, is 90 minutes, and the impression I'm getting is a lot of coaches also aren't really bumping up against the edge of that limit. They're keeping it lower what can the science tell us in terms of how much is safe? Can the science, as we understand it right now, can that set a limit? Tell us where the safe limit should be for these players. I don't think the science is there yet to to really help to answer that question. But I think what you've just heard the coach uh uh, really uh, expand upon is is the sea change that's happened in, in how we're addressing uh, this concern. And uh, I, I think that what we're beginning to see is that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the coaching staff and, and really the whole community is starting to really figure out how are we going to embrace the best parts of team sports, uh, as Coach just outlined, and at the same time minimize the risk of injury and, and long-term consequences. And I think this is a great place for us to be today because, in fact, it is going to be time sensitive as to when we get more information because, uh, you know, science can only happen at a rate it happens. And, and in fact, what we're doing is we're, we're capturing these patients or these, uh, these athletes in research studies and we're following them one, two, three, four, five years. And what we're seeing already uh, uh, a colleague of mine just published a paper that showed that when they studied this problem back 20 years ago, people were going back to they were returning to play with a concussion in the same game and within the same day or two after this practicing, et cetera. And, and from this care consortium that uh, I alluded to earlier, uh, what they saw was is that that is just not happening anymore. So there's already positive change that's going on uh, within organized sports where you you know, when in doubt, we're setting them out. We're, we're reducing this chance of second injuries that are happening in this vulnerable period that we know scientifically that, you know, even though you may feel better, the brain may not be exactly better. And so people are exercising, in my opinion, uh, uh, appropriate caution. Uh, we injure things all the time. You know, we injure our knees, we injure our ankles, and any player would understand if they twisted a knee, they wouldn't want to go right back in and play football in that same game. And so much in the same way that we twist a knee, 
a concussion is sort of like twisting your brain. And the idea that we pull these people out, we let them recover, I think is a very positive move forward. And I do think that we need to retain the value of team sports and of exercise because I think we've seen in a number of situations where people are staying away from sports. And I don't think that's good for your health. And Coach Henderson, I mean, it seems like in talking to you that a lot of the change that we've seen has been spurred by just recognition on the part of coaches that less contact time is beneficial for players in a lot of ways. It helps you avoid injury. It improves the quality of practice in a lot of ways. How much are these laws that we're seeing here in California that are setting legal limits on the amount of time that players can play contact How much of those laws really mattered in terms of changing the way coaches are approaching the game? Uh, it's a it's a really good thing because that has leveled the playing field. Literally, it's made it universal, so that within programs, everyone would be doing the the same thing. I, I feel like with the schools that we've been competing with, and within our district, and particularly here at our school where I teach and coach, uh, that we've been inside of that ninety minute uh, guideline. Uh, you know, for a very long time, you know, for years. And, and, and the reason is because the, the, the emphasis on doing things the right way and, and in controlled uh, settings allows us to teach and allows us to, to achieve our objectives, we have found, uh, without wearing the, the players down. So it's beneficial uh, for the players to engage and, and at high speed for different periods and in spurts as part of your overall practice scheme and to prepare. Um, And the law has helped to support that culture. Um, Fortunately for us, and and from what I can see with with people that we play against, um, the structure and the style has changed. The culture of the game has changed in terms of the way you prepare what's acceptable the way the game is officiated some of the um the 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 crack back blocking that used to be allowed that was part of the of the tradition of the game which puts the person at risk targeting um those types of things using the head uh using the helmet or the headgear at to strike another player in the head or neck area those are things that are being called and so what that has done is that it's helped players to change the way they play and ultimately the law supports that and it's allowed coaches to embrace it. And for us, um, while I feel confident that we're inside the amount of time you need to hit to get ready, it's a good reminder to have so that we keep the structure of how we organize our practice plans so that we can stay inside those boundaries. And looking at it from the opposite perspective for just a second, do we lose anything? when we cut down in tackle time in that way? Are our players today maybe missing out on a certain level of physicality or, or, or you know, just things that people in generations past really treasured about the game? Or are, are we losing out on anything making these changes? Uh, for me, I don't think we lose anything. Uh, you know, you, we don't need to see guys knocked out on the field to get the sense that it's a competitive situation. We don't want to teach kids that uh, knocking guys out of the game is the objective. The objective is to score more points than your opponent. The objective is to execute plays offensively and defensively and special teams in ways that are creative and fun. There's a competitive element to it. And, yeah, it's a a contact sport. Uh, 
it's good to, to be able to tackle someone and, and to keep them from getting a first down or a touchdown. It's good to be able to break a tackle and score if that's what you're uh, uh, tasked to do. Uh, none of that means that it needs to be some kind of vicious gladiator experience. It just means that it's highly competitive. Frankly, it's combative. And at, and, and at the same time, it has the potential to bring out the best in people who are really competing at a high level. So we can have kids play at a really high level. We can have kids really pay, play in a kind of a combat-oriented sport, if you will, but they can do it in a way that is safe. Hmm. Now, Dr. Manley, you made a point earlier that it can be difficult to know exactly what the right age is to bring a child into full contact sports. Uh, there was an ad earlier this year that you may have seen. It's uh, out from the Boston-based Concussion Legacy Foundation, uh, warning against players under the age of 14 playing tackle football. That ad drew a pretty vivid comparison between tackle football at that age and smoking, essentially comparing the risks between the two. Uh, wondering, Dr. Manley, if you feel like that comparison is fair. I, I, based upon the data that exists today, I, I, I don't think that's a fair comparison. And, um, y- y- you know, I mean, if, if you were to ask me as somebody who has been working at our level one trauma center here in San Francisco, uh, uh, you know, what's what's dangerous? I, I'm not sure that 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 contact team sport would rise to the occasion. You know, when I think about things like skateboard accidents and things of that nature. So, um, again, I don't want to you know convey to you that I'm minimizing the risk here. I do think that there is a subset of folks here that are at risk for long-term issues and we need to understand that i don't know today exactly you know what is the right age to do this uh i do i personally support you know somebody who's six or seven years old you know doing contact things no uh but but uh you know things like flag football that we've heard about and you know progressing you know into uh you know the high school arena with with more contact um, you, you know, there's nothing about the literature, even in our own family, that 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 changed my opinion about what we did. And so um, I don't know that we know the exact age cutoff. I think that there's probably a lot of common sense that applies here, uh, which is that uh, maybe not such a good idea for little kids to be doing this. Uh, and as you get older, uh, uh, if it's done safely. And, and as I said earlier, I think we need to realize that that the way that the game is played today and the way that the game is coached today is radically different than it was 20 years ago. And so uh, uh, there's awareness, which is great. Uh, there's a lot of protocols that are in place to try to make sure that we can do this safely. And uh, I, I, I do believe that we are seeing, you know, th- in the same way that there's not a whole lot of literature around exactly what is the right age or how many people are going to be affected by this long term. There is an incredible growing body of literature uh, about how unhealthy our kids are today. And I think we need to be thinking about that as well. Hmm. All right. And uh, to close this out, uh, Coach Henderson, I was wondering if maybe you could give some advice to any parents out there who might be listening. Maybe their kids are thinking of getting involved in football and they just don't really know what questions to ask. What questions would you ask of the coaching staff at a school just to make sure that the proper thought is being given to safety and the issues that we've been talking about here today? Right. I, I, I think the, the first thing you want to do is to 
try to figure out when you can meet with the coaches and and if, if they're like an eighth grade parent night or if you're a first time player, whatever grade your your youngster is going to be going into, that you find out when you can meet with the coaches and then have it be a uh, just a simple straight out conversation with. Um, is there any information that you and your coaching staff um, can provide about you know how you structure practice or um, kinds of things that you do um, that that I need to know about? So if my kid is sore a little bit here or there, you know what's normal, so I don't have to be worried about um, those kinds of things. Those those are the kinds of questions that I that I might ask. It just from a safety standpoint, uh, do you have a do you have a trainer on site at practices or games just in case something happens? Just curious about that because I mean, just from a safety standpoint, that might be a question. Um, and that's the kind of person that can keep an eye on whether or not students are doing medically well. Right. Yeah. Right. A sports trainer could look and see if there's an injury of any kind, and they might end up taping up a, a finger or taping up an ankle or sitting a kid out if they look like they took a particularly hard hit at some point or another. But I think it's more getting acquainted with the, with the staff. It's asking a few questions about the structure of, of, of what they do and letting them know that you're, you're excited about the opportunity and cautiously optimistic and, and that you want to open a line of communication with the coaches and if there's anything um, that you need to know as a parent that you want to be you know, um, made aware of what's happening, obviously, so that uh, so that you can be on the same side with the coaches supporting, you know, the the, the player as they play. All right, and we are going to let that be the closing thought for today. We have been speaking on KCBS In-Depth to Dr. Jeffrey Manley. He's a professor of neurosurgery at the University of California, San Francisco, as well as Steve Henderson. He's a football coach at Aragon High School in San Mateo. Dr. Manley, Coach Henderson, thank you both so much for being on KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for having me. Yes, and thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the time. Remember, you can find past editions of KCBS In-Depth online at kcbsradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.